Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, you're watching on, okay? Does anybody have this kid in their lives? This kid who asks the funniest questions? Anybody have that kid? I've got a kid who talks a lot. I also have a kid who asks funny questions. One of the, one of the questions that gets asked um, around the Henderson household is, and you just think about this for just a second. What would be the largest animal that you think that you could beat in a fight? <laughs> I mean, that's a fun question to ponder because some of you are like, dude, I could take a bear. No, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. Uh -uh. Uh, no, you couldn't. A sheep, maybe. All right, now we're in the ballpark, right? So that, that's one of the questions. Uh, the other one, uh, that because that, uh, these just happen, and, and, and it always starts out the same way. Hey, Dad, can I ask you a question? And I have no idea if it's going to be like serious, deep theology or like just one of these. Here was the thing. Hey, what song, this is a, what song, if, if you played it, it would be safe in any environment, and to use a teenage uh, little bit of language here, and it would be a vibe for anybody who listens. Like it would be a thing, like people would jam to it. What song, if you played it in any environment, people would jam to it? So we had like a 12 or 15 minute conversation, curating a list of this. And furthermore, uh, some people who are in the 830 have already pinged my phone or filled up my inbox with their suggestions to this. So let's take just a moment. This section over here, you've had about 45 seconds to think about it. If you had one song that was a vibe for any environment and all audiences, what would it be? Right there, what would it be? Okay, cool in the game. Celebrate. All right, all right, I like that. Uh, how about this section right here? This one right here. We won't ask everybody because y'all y'all don't, I don't know. Do y'all listen to music? Y'all are kind of, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But I don't want the illustration to go too long. That's the issue. This section right here, anybody? What is it? Rust Taft. Rust I'm not sure that, I mean, that's a good, like, all right, so hold time. When I say the name Russ Taft, does anybody resonate? Yeah, a third of you. That's perfect. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm not sure we'd get there. A any Anybody else want to weigh in? Uptown? Oh, yeah. Not always safe in every environment. I just know. Now, what got us started was we, we pondered this for a moment. There was a, a moment of silence in the car of thinking. And then we locked in. And then once we started locking, I think we knocked out about eight or nine songs. But the one that was at the top, the YMCA by the village people. Everybody jams to that song, right? Am I right about this? Oh, oh yes, you do. You know you do. No, no, I do not. Yeah, when it's fun to play at the Y, yes, you do. We know that you do. We've seen you do it. There's video evidence, I'm sure of it. Funny questions in relationships make for funny conversations, right? Um, t today, I want to dig in a little bit on this story and, and think about three questions in the midst of our relationship with Jesus that I think we'll have to come to, ask and answer, and these will happen on the regular. Meaning like, we will have to deal with these questions as a part of our following Jesus. As we follow him... Uh, you will have to face these questions. You ready? John chapter 9. As he passed, that's Jesus. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. 
And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? All right, can we just pause for a second? You're smart people. I, I know you, and I know that you're smart. This question does not hold the water that some people think that it does. Why? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Did the baby in utero like get cranky with mom? Like what happened? Does that on occasion, y'all, on occasion, people who follow Jesus ask questions that sound significant but just don't make sense. Are you with me? Alright, that's a different sermon. Jesus answered, verse 3. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day, uh, for night is coming. Excuse me, when night is coming, when no one can work, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He's pulling back to uh, John chapter 8, verse 12, when he says that. Okay, so here's the first question. I think it's worthwhile. We'll pause there. We'll kind of take some more chunks in just a second. Um, here's the first question. Actor or author? Actor or author? His disciples were locked in on actor. Who sinned? His parents or him that he was born blind? Jesus. Nope. Not either or. You're, you're in the wrong ballpark. Different zip code altogether. Something, this is in play right now. Why? So that the works of God could be shown. So they would be seen. So they would be displayed in Him. So let me just try to bring this down to where we live. Uh, when I say the, the phrase, the born identity, what do you think of? Matt Damon. You think of Matt Damon. Who's with me on that? Everybody. Who knew that it was a book long before it was a movie? How many of you have read the book? My people. Yeah. Anybody know who wrote the book? Don't. Don't cheat. Robert Ludlum. Uh, I, I've read all the books. I read them when I was much younger. And so when Matt Damon made the movie and it was coming out, I was like, cool, that's awesome. It was, it's, it's in the reasonable sense of a movie adaptation. The book, y'all listen to me, the book is far better. That's no shot against Matt Damon. It's not. Like, it's just that much better. It really, really is. But when I hear Born Identity, I'm thinking of the author, Robert Ludlow. When you hear Born Identity, especially those of you who are younger, you're thinking of what? You're thinking of Matt Damon. Author or actor? Actor or author? Who sinned? This man or... His parents. No. There's an author behind all of this. I say that to say this. We only see the scenes, but God, He sees the story. That's an important thing to hold on to. Because God's telling a story through this situation and through this man. That we may not like the adaptation of it, but this is the story that He's telling. He is not as concerned. He is not as concerned with the, the history of things as he is with the present and things that uh, who he's going to make us um, down the road. And so we we get to embrace the idea that God is at work in these situations. We face things that are inexplainable. Anybody? We face things that don't have a kind of a, a logical outcome or, frankly, a, a emotionally satisfying outcome. God, I don't like this. In the midst of that, it's good to remember. We're looking at a scene. God sees the story. Who sinned? This man or his parents? Nope. This happened so that God could be at work here. We see the scenes. God sees the story. I had a friend who was actually part of our church for a while. Um, 
got uh, downsized at a big corporate layoff. He's sitting with a couple of coworkers who took the same hit. And they look at him finally, and they're like, dude, you seem really calm about this. Here's what he said over lunch with his coworkers. Well, I know a guy. They legit thought he was talking about like LinkedIn. They, he had it out. No, I know a guy. And I'm quoting. I know a guy. I don't know how it's going to work out. But I know who is going to work it out. That's what we're talking about. We see the scenes. God sees the story. I want to put one more thing in your lap here for just a second. And again, if we were in a hospital room and I was visiting you, I wouldn't say this because I wouldn't want you to punch me. But we're not. We're here. And so I will because it is an important truth. That sometimes God allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he enjoys. He allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves, even. And so we have the opportunity to put our trust to say, God, I don't know how this is happening, why this is happening, under what circumstance this will be redeemed. But we have story after story after story after story in the Bible of things that we would call on the surface, we would call bad, that somehow, someway, God takes and does what? Turns it. To bring forth good. Sometimes he allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. You don't have to look any further than the cross for that reality to come crashing into your world into mind. Sometimes God allows what he hates, the death of his son, to accomplish what he loves. The redemption, the resurrection of his son, and the redemption of the people who put their trust in him. Actor or author. Let's remember that God is our God is the one who is author. Second, uh, verse 6. Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, with the spit mud. Gross. And said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sit. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors, those who had seen him before, as a beggar, uh, were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it's he. Others said, no, it's somebody that looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, then how are your eyes open? He said, uh, the, the man called Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes, said to me, go, slow him and wash. So I went and washed, and I received my sight. They said, where is he? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes as we walk with God, things... Um, see, see if this rings true for anybody. Sometimes as we walk with God, things get kind of messy. Is that fair? Anybody experience this? We, we have two options at that point. As we're walking with Jesus, as we're following Him, as we're doing the things that He wants us to do, we step into a situation where we're like, boy, this is a little bit messy. Or it kind of, kind of washes up on us. We're like, where did that come from? And we've got this mess out in front of us. We have two options right there. Number one. We can pull back and say, hey, thanks, but no thanks. I like, my, I like my life a little more antiseptic than that. A little cleaner. A little dust-free. Please don't make me step into that. Or, or we can lean forward into that mess and say, God, because I believe that you are at work in every moment of every day, I can believe and do believe, or I am working to believe that you are at work in this mess that is out in front of me. As a church family, I want to embrace this 
and, and embrace all of us and think about the history. Like, we have a history of saying to one another, yes, this is a little bit gross right now, a little bit messy. Things are not as ordered as we wish they were. There's some chaos. Okay, it's time for us to step forward into this. But that doesn't only happen corporately. It also happens individually. You and I have to face this question individually as we follow. Are we afraid of the mess? Do we want to pull back, try to sanitize, or do we step forward and go, God, I don't know how you're going to do this. Well, and I want to try to describe the mess for you. In those first few verses, let's start. It, it was physically messy. Physically messy. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud. And then he took that mud, the spit mud. The mud made from spit. He spit and he made mud. You got this. And he put it on that brother's eyes. That's pretty gross. Yeah? Nasty. Then, uh, he anointed the man's eyes said to him, verse 7, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So, I just want to, two things. Number one, it's physically messy because in that moment right there, you've got spit mud on your eyes. That's kind of crazy. And then secondly, Jesus tells this blind guy, the guy is still blind. Are we up to speed on this? He's still blind. He's not, he's not... He tells them, go wash in the Pool of Siloam. They are at the Temple Mount, Pool of Siloam, down the hill about 500 yards away. Jesus says to the blind guy, 500 yards away, go there. Okay, so here's what we want to do. We want to take one of these teenagers right here, blindfold them, spin them around and say, go to Kroger. That's what we're talking about. Everybody with me? No help? No guarantee? No, nothing. It is a messy situation. Sometimes, though, God uses those kind of physical challenges and hurdles and obstacles and things. He uses that to increase our spiritual grit. We are more likely to know Him uh, on an intimate level. We are going to grow to be like Him in our character. When God uses these kinds of things in the physical realm to train or test our spiritual grit, it's physically messy. So again, when something comes along, the phone call comes and it's a diagnosis. The, um, the, the challenge of... Yeah, we got laid off. Or whatever it may be. When those kind of things come, it's not that they're not missing. They are. But do you pull back? Do you step forward and say, yeah, God, I believe you're in this mess. I don't know how you're going to work it out. I just believe that you're going to. And I think you're going to see me through. Secondly, it is spiritually, spiritually messy. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been born blind. Okay. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Can we just press pause here? How many times has Jesus healed on the Sabbath at this point? About 5,000. Yeah? I mean, he just, he just keeps poking the bear. So the Pharisees again asked him uh, how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So he said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. Okay, so it's spiritually, physically messy, spiritually messy. Again, one more time, Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Why? Because in a different uh, place, in a different gospel, he says... 
uh, uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. It is a picture of the the things that God wants to do in people. And what is Jesus doing on the Sabbath? He's bringing a kind of wholeness to bear on people. And so he's saying, hey, this is the picture of what this whole thing is about. And the Pharisees who have built their rules around the Sabbath to make sure that nobody steps out of line or do the things that they don't think they should be doing are are just torqued about this. And Jesus keeps poking the bear. Hey, your rules are dumb. This guy can see. It is spiritually messy. And it created conflict. Did you see that? Uh, at the end of verse 16, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. You had the party that was like, listen, I don't know what everything about everything, but that brother can see. And you had the party like, oh yeah? Well, he may be able to see, but they broke the rules. That can't be God-honoring. And lastly, at the end, there, look, look at how the guy describes it. What, what do you say about him? I don't know. He's a prophet. Now, you and I, we've read the Gospel of John. Do we know something about Jesus that maybe this guy doesn't get? Yes, we do. Is he a prophet? Yes, but is he more than a prophet? Absolutely. Here's the thing. As God gets a hold of people, And draws that person to himself. There may be some things that they say or do that you're like, I don't think I want to say it that way. I don't think I want to. Like that is not a complete picture of everything. But because God is at work and they are growing in their understanding, it's perfectly okay to have a little patience, pastoral patience with them, just to go, hey, listen, I see God is at work drawing you to himself. What do you say about him? He's a prophet. That's true. And there's a lot more to the story, man. I can't wait for it to really settle in on you. We can be patient like that. It can be spiritually messy because it is. He is more than just a guy. We wish that guy, we, get, we wish it was clear. He's a prophet, but people grow. People grow in their understanding of Jesus. And then the last part, and this is where it gets, well, it gets even messier. It's relationally messy. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents. They called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he knows, excuse me, how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. All right, so let's just pause. Uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they've got this person who now sees or claims to see, and they're like, hey, let's get mom and dad in here. We've got to do a little interview here. It's relationally messy because where, the, where do they start? Hey, is this your son? How, do you, how does he see? I don't know. Listen, here's the deal. We can say a couple of things. Number one, he is our son. Can confirm. Number two, he was born blind. No lies told. Number three, how does he now see? He's old enough. Talk to him about this. But don't miss the rationale. Because it's, it's one thing for a parent to offload responsibility and let a, a, an older child speak for himself or herself. Don't miss the motivation of it. Verse um, 23, 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if uh, anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. So now, you can see that the relationship is, well, it, it just made a really awkward Thanksgiving dinner. 
It is relationally messy. Look, we don't want to give up our social standing. We don't want to give up our circle of friends. We don't want to give up the things that it would cost us um, in in society and the way that things function. Uh, We don't want to give up um, our standing. We would possibly lose our jobs. We've got all of this stuff that that is in play right now. You should just ask him. Just ask him. We don't want to be ostracized. We don't want to be the ones rejected. Just ask the guy. Instead of stepping forward into the mess, let's keep it antiseptic for us. It's safer. Are you afraid of the mess? Church family, listen, you're going to have to answer this question on the regular because life is pretty messy. And more. Typically, it's not just one of these three. It's some combination of all three. Like you've got three little sliders, and it's a little more here, a little less there on this one, and then next week it changes. There's some combination of physically, spiritually, and relationally messy. Sometimes it's just a, you just throw it all in a pot and see what happens. Are you afraid of the mess? I will say this, the last little part about it being relationally messy. Family is often the context for how God works in some of the deepest ways in our lives. Marriages, kids, responding to parents and adult parents in particular, extended family drama. This is the place where God tends to work. So, last thing. Is is there a way, last question, is there a way that I can have both confidence and clarity? Because the world pushes back on that. The world culture um, kind of says, look, um, you, you, you cannot be sure about these things. Certainty needs to go right out the door. We can be sure about some things and still have the humility to say, I think I got this figured out. We can be sure of that. Uh, wh- what about clarity? Well, I can be clear on these things, but man, everything else is just, no, no, no. We can, we can have clarity and grow in clarity. The question is on the table, can I have both? Can I have confidence and clarity, do I need to give up one for the other? And the answer from the story is absolutely not. You can 100% have both. Here we go. Uh, verse, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, verse 25, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. See if you recognize these words. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. I see. Though I was blind, now I see. You can have confidence to say what you know to be true. It doesn't mean that you have to know everything, but the things that you know, you can know. Just like with him. He knew some things that were real, that were true um, about his experience and his life. And he didn't, know all the, he didn't know all the answers. He didn't know all the, even the big questions to ask. He certainly didn't even have the resources to go find the things that he might need to get those answers. What he knew, he knew. You can have confidence to say what you know to be true. It's the reason why John Newton used that particular um, phrase to pin the famous line in the most famous hymn in the English-speaking language, Amazing Grace. I was blind, but now what? I see. He grew up um, son of a sailor and, and took on his debts. And they, he uh, traded slaves. And then the gospel got a hold of him and it changed him. And he's like, man, boy, how did, was I an idiot? I was so glad. But now, by the grace of God, I see. 
That could be true, that was true of him, and it could be true of us. Doesn't have all the answers, but he knows that. We have confidence to say what you know um, to be true. What he knew, he knew. Verse 27. Sorry, 26, I'm skipping ahead. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you will not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? That guy, he's like, listen, I'm done with it. There is a clarity. There is a clarity on what you genuinely know. I have told you already, and you would not listen. There's a clarity on what you genuinely know. He knew what Jesus had done. He knew what his condition was and what his condition is. He knew the process that he went through in order to get there. And yes, it was messy. Yes, it was chaotic. And yes, it was real. And he spoke. A confidence to say what you know to be true, but a clarity on what you know. This is what I know. What, what happens, the more you tell this story, the clearer it becomes for you. The, the more you exercise your gift to say, listen, I don't know everything, but I do know this, the more real and concrete um, that becomes. Thirdly, clarity and confidence. Thirdly, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, verse uh, 28. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. For we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. So, that's a... Hey, look, we don't know about this guy. We know about our guy. We're sticking with our guy. Verse 30. Uh, This is like... Smack talk extreme. Here you go. Ready ready, verse 30? The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You are born in utter sin. And you would teach us, and they cast it out. There is a confidence to speak, even in the face of opposition. A confidence to speak, even in the face of opposition. Hey, we don't know about this guy. We know our guy. We're sticking with our guy. Listen, stick with your guy if you want to. I'm just telling you what I know to be true. I was blind, now I see. God doesn't listen to folks that you say God doesn't listen to, and yet this guy did this. What do you think about that, huh? The Pharisees couldn't celebrate. The Pharisees could not uh, um, do anything more than just think about protecting the system that they inherited and that they lived in and that they benefited from. And God is not in that business. And so the man speaks. Five minutes ago, five minutes ago, he was a beggar on a, on a doorstep of a temple. And now he's blistering the religious leaders of the day. To say, you guys think you're so smart. Listen, you don't know anything. A confidence to speak in the face of opposition. One of the things that comes up, and it, it's, uh, it's a reality, is, is this kind of latent fear that asks this question. 
what if I get asked something that I don't know the answer to? Like, as I live, as I follow Jesus, as I engage people in conversation, as I speak um, to the story that God has given me to tell, as I talk about the things that I've seen God do in my life, what if I get asked a question that I don't know the answer to? What if somebody comes along and is like, well, you know, so-and-so says, blah, 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 and I don't know the answer to that. What do you do? Pastorally, here's a little parenthesis. You don't have to live in that fear for a couple of reasons. One, you can say what you know to be true without saying everything that is true. You with me on that? You don't have to have all the answers. You can just talk about the answers that you do have. You can say what is true without saying everything that is, that is the truth. Uh, and secondly, uh, if you speak plainly about it, like this guy right here, hey listen, all I know is that I was blind and now not blind. Seeing. You can speak plainly about that. And then lastly, you can release your responsibility for their response. I don't have to manage their response. You know what I'm in charge of? Managing the, the things that I say, the things that I present as true. I say that because um, if you look back at verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. It wasn't his argument that blinded them. It was their rage. Hey, we're in 2023, 2024 is coming. There will be plenty of rage to go around. And it blinds people to the truth. I'm saying that to say, let's just be people who say what we know to be true. And do it in a way that uh, helps people see it to be true. Confidence to speak, even, even in the face of opposition. And lastly, um, confidence and clarity. Clarity on the, on the identity of Jesus. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Having found him. By the way, I mean, that's, that's not nothing. It cost him. It, to follow Jesus costs something. Uh, Jesus heard they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. D don't miss this. His through, just through the chapter, his clarity grew. Hey, what happened? Well, the man, the man named Jesus, he did this. That's, that's verse 11. What do you say about it? Verse 17. He's a prophet. Well, I mean, listen. We, we don't know about this guy. We follow Moses. Well, this cat's from God, obviously, because this is what he's done. So, so far, we've gone from the man to a prophet to from God. And then finally, Lord. Lord. Did you see it? Lord. Verse 38. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. He grew in his understanding of Jesus. As he lived with Jesus, as he followed Jesus, as he did the things that were supposed to, and as he stood up and said the things that were true, clarity on the identity of Jesus came into focus. It increased. Last thing. Verse 39. Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who may see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees, uh, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things. They said to him, Are, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. If you think 
Pharisees, that you've got it all figured out, and that you're going to justify yourself by following the rules and putting God in the little box and making sure that the box sits on your shelf so that you can pull it out at the appropriate time. If you think that that is the sum total of your relationship with God, you're blind. But man, those who are willing to say, God, I do not have it all figured out. God, you know that I am a God-awful mess. And goodness gracious, I need your help. Those are the people who say. Again, just as earlier, I point you back to the cross. It's foolishness, y'all. I mean, it's so unbelievable that only fools believe that there's a God in heaven who looked down at humanity and all of our mess and all of our chaos and said, yeah, they're worth saving. It's foolishness to believe that that we would say, there is a God in heaven who looked down on us in our rebellion and turning away from him and said, I want them to be in relationship with me. I want to call them sons and daughters. It is foolishness to believe that God wouldn't just send something, but would send someone, would send his own son to die on the cross in our place for our sin and then be raised. It's foolishness to believe that. It really is. And only fools believe. But this is what we gather every Sunday to celebrate. We get to gather and say, there is a God in heaven who has done exactly these things. And we move to communion now to remind ourselves that this is exactly what he has done. So if you need to fold up or... um, Put your stuff up. We're going to go to the tables here in just a second. Let me pray for us first. Father, thanks for the uh, word here this morning. Thanks for the story. Thanks for the goodness of it. Um, thank you for, that, well, that you're in the business of helping blind people see. As we've done so this morning, we pray now. Uh, that you, as we gather around um, these tables, as we celebrate communion, that it would be a fresh thing for us. We would remind ourselves of just how much you love us. We would remind ourselves of the power of the gospel to change people. Blind people see. Dead people live. We would remind ourselves of all these things. Be honored by it. We give it to you now. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen and Amen.